I want to take as my text this morning from that reading from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, and verses 19 through 23. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1142. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and beginning at verse 19, which I'd like us to read again just so that it, it's fresh in our minds. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and beginning at verse 19, in which the apostle said, And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. For as by one man came death, by one man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. This morning I want to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only as a singular event of ancient history, but as a pattern and a promise of a multiplicity of resurrections still to come. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only as a singular event of ancient history, but as a pattern and a promise of a multiplicity of resurrections still to come. Indeed, the resurrection isn't just about Jesus. Physical bodily resurrection shall inevitably, evident, inevitably be the real time and space experience of all those whom the apostle here describes as those who belong to Christ. And this truth originates with no one less than Jesus Christ himself. Not only did he say, and on the third day I will rise from the dead, but he also said this. In John chapter 6, and beginning at verse 37, we have his words. Jesus said this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And how can we be sure that what Jesus says is true? Well, we can be sure that what Jesus says is true is because he himself rose from the dead. Indeed, Jesus himself rose from the dead. Notice again, verses 19 and 20. If only in this life we have some hope and not in the, in the life to come. We are of all people most pity. Because we will have said that, uh, yeah, we're going to rise and so on. And then it's just all a sham. But why, why, do, why do we know that that's not true and that what Christ said is true? Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And the truth of Christ rising from the dead is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Indeed, uh, without the resurrection, there is no gospel. In fact, in the same 15th chapter of 
1 Corinthians. Notice, back up to verse 3, and notice what Paul says. Beginning at verse 3, he says to these Corinthian believers, he said, I delivered to you of first importance. <laughs> Before we go anywhere else, of first importance, I delivered to you what I have received, and that is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, Kepha, that's Aramaic for stone, or what we know in the Greek as Petros, from which we get the word or the name Peter. He appeared to, to Cephas, Kepha, Petros, Peter, and then to the other 12 disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, probably in the Galilee, most of whom are still alive, Paul says. You can interview them if you like. Though some of them have fallen asleep, or that is to say some have died. And then he appeared to James, who became a great leader in the church, Jesus' own half-brother. And then to all of the apostles. Last of all, Paul, Paul says, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. But I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because he says, before I became a Christian myself, I persecuted the church. Indeed, if there's hope for Paul, for Paul there's hope for anyone. Paul was what we would today call a terrorist. <laughs> he killed people. He arrested people. He persecuted people. And God made him, through Christ, an apostle. In fact, out of the 27 books that we have in what we call the New Testament, 13 of them were written by Paul. Extraordinary. But that's Paul's testimony. And then we have Peter's testimony. In fact, uh, Connie read most of it uh, in, the, in the first reading. And here's just a, a, a bit of it again. He said, and we, that is Peter and the, and, the, and the other apostles, we're witnesses of everything that Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He wasn't seen by all the people, but he was, he was, but he was seen by witnesses whom God had already chosen, namely us. In fact, we ate with him after he rose and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he, Jesus, commanded us to tell all of the people to preach and to testify that he is the one who God the Father has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all of the apostles, with the exception of John, who suffered in other ways, all of them died martyrs' deaths with that testimony on their lips saying that they could not keep silent about the things that they had seen and heard. Lee Strobel in his great book, A Case for Christ, wrote this. He said, people will die for their religious beliefs if they sincerely believe that they're true. But people will not die for their religious beliefs if they know that they're false. Would you die for something you knew was a lie? You'd say, no, 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 it's just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. He continues, and while most people only have faith that what they believe is true, the apostles were in a position to know without a doubt whether or not Jesus had really risen from the dead. 
They claimed that they saw him and talked with him and ate with him after rising from the dead. If they were not absolutely certain, they would have never allowed themselves to be tortured and killed for proclaiming that the resurrection really happened. And so Jesus himself rose from the dead. And the apostles who experienced the risen Lord firsthand and for themselves could not keep silent about the things that they had seen and heard. And those who belong to Christ, and this is Paul's central point in our text, those who belong to Christ will also rise. And their resurrection will be just like Christ's. Indeed, Paul says that Christ is the, patter the pattern. Indeed, notice again uh, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, or the first fruits of those who have died. That is to say that Jesus is, if you like, a resurrection sample. He's a, he is the representative pattern of a multiplicity of resurrections still to come. Indeed, our resurrection, if we belong to Christ, if we're His through faith in Him, our resurrection experience won't in any way be less than the resurrection that Christ himself experienced. Your resurrection will be just like his. Indeed, Paul writing to the believers at Philippi talked a little bit about this, and his words are very expressive and explicit. He wrote this, Philippians chapter 3 and beginning at verse 20. He says, but our citizenship, you know, the place where we really belong, we're citizens of heaven. We just happen to be. In fact, this kind of language is used in other places in the New Testament, in particular uh, Peter, where he calls us, we're, we're aliens and strangers <laughs> in the world. Jesus said that my disciples are in the world, but they're not of the world. And so Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven, and it's from heaven that we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what will He do? Who will transform our lowly bodies and make them like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Now this is an extraordinary thing. If you're familiar with the post-resurrection events, uh, for instance, the, the, the disciples have, are, have locked themselves in a room in Jerusalem because they're afraid that the authorities that put Jesus to death were coming after them to do the same. And so we're told about how they're in a room and all the doors are locked and they're all down in the dumps. And then all of a sudden Jesus appears. Well, he didn't knock. He, did, he just appears. And then he disappears. And this tells us something about the the qualities and nature of the resurrection body. No need to open the door. <laughs> Just go through the wall. <laughs> it's, like, it's like existence in a different dimension. And Paul says that uh, what you see in Christ, in his resurrection body, he eats, but the body never gets sick, the body never dies. In fact, Paul talks quite a bit about that in 1 Corinthians 15. 
But then Paul says something in our text that's interesting, and that is relative to Adam, our forefather. Adam, our forefather, his legacy to us as human beings is a legacy of death, by contrast. In fact, notice verse 22. (laughs) For, but in, in Adam all die. So we're all in Adam. If we're not in Christ, we're all in Adam. We're all human beings. We're all his descendants. And we know all about that story, don't we? And how it relates to death. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2 and beginning at verse 15, we read, and you're familiar with this, and the Lord took the man, Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. Did lots of things with Adam. He says, hey, here's the animals I made. What do you want to call them? (laughs) It's interesting how he said, you know what, why don't we do this together? Adam, what would you call this animal? But it says the Lord God took Adam, the man, and put him in the garden of Eden to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are to eat freely. This is great. You are to eat freely of any tree in the garden. Have at it, Adam. Enjoy yourself. (laughs) You can eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Well, we all remember what Adam, our forefather, indeed notwithstanding all the other fruit trees within the garden, Adam and his wife Eve ate of the one tree. (laughs) The one tree! And you reflect back on that and say, well, I could have left that tree alone. Could you have? (laughs) Something about this kind of smacks true. Notwithstanding all the other trees, Adam and Eve ate of the one tree that God commanded them not to eat, and they died. And Adam passed that legacy of death on to us, his descendants. As Paul says here, and in Adam all die. But then Paul says in stark contrast that all who are in Christ (laughs) will be made alive. And he'd notice again, verses 21 and 22. For as by one man came death, that man is Adam, by another man, that's Christ, came also the resurrection of the dead. What Adam messes up, Christ comes and straightens out. And they have this representative relationship. Adam to all of humankind and Christ to all who belong to him. All that the Father gives to me shall come to me, and I won't cast any of them out. Even as the Father says, whoever looks to the Son and believes in him shall have everlasting life. And Jesus says, and those whom he gives me, I will raise up on the last day. This promise is made to all who are in Christ. All who are spiritually united with him. All those who have believed in him. All those for whom he is the rabbi. He is Lord. He calls the shots. As he said, anyone, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But it'll be worth it. Because those who abase themselves shall be exalted. While those who exalt themselves shall be abased. And what we sometimes refer to as the great reversal. And the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. 
This promise is made to all who are in Christ, or to all who belong to him, that Christ rises first. He's the first fruits. He's the pattern and the promise of that which is still to come. And then all those who belong to Christ will also rise from the dead when he comes, Paul says. Unless, of course, we happen to be here when he comes. In which case, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that our bodies will simply be transformed like unto Christ's glorious body. Indeed, the same 15th chapter, notice at verse 50, turn a page to verse 50. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood, like what we have now, human mortality cannot inherit the kingdom of God when it comes. There's got to be a change. There's a change coming and you must change. I tell you, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die, is what you're saying, but we shall all be changed. Whether we, are, whether we die before he comes or whether we're here when he comes, all of us, dead and alive at his coming, will be changed. In a moment, verse 52, in the twinkling of an eye, in a split second, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Paul talks about this in some detail in another place, a famous passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and beginning at verse 13, and this is what he says. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, people of God, about those who are asleep, those who have died, our fellow Christian people that, that you may not grieve as other people do, who don't have hope. Can you imagine? I mean, w when there's no hope beyond death, there's great human sorrow. He says, for since we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, oh, he's the paradigm, he's the pattern. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Christ, God will also bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord himself, right? The warlord, I will raise them up on the last day. We have this and we declare to you a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord. When we're here and He comes, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. They won't be left behind, is what He's saying. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. I wonder what that is. Maybe that cry of command is what, what Jesus said to Lazarus. Come forth! Come forth! For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. There's the trumpet of God again. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left here, will be caught up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord. And he concludes by saying, and therefore encourage one another 
with these words. I've always appreciated what someone has written. Quote, When Jesus hung and was dying on the cross, and to prove that he was really the Son of God, his enemies challenged him to come down from the cross. Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God, they said. But Jesus did even better than that. He died, and then he rose again. As someone has also written, as Christians, we believe not only in the immortality of the soul, as followers of Christ, we believe in the resurrection of the body. And as Christians, we believe not only that Christ rose from the dead, but that we too will rise from the dead if we belong to him. Indeed, what does John, Jesus say in John 6? All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him should have the gift of eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Is that what you believe this morning? Is that what your future holds? And if not, it can be. Indeed, what does the Scripture say? In fact, if you're not a committed person to Jesus Christ, there may be one verse in the Bible that you know. You probably know it if you go to a football game, although I don't know if they let you do it at the football games anymore. But what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world. You're the world. God so loved you. Sort of an interesting thing, isn't it? He gives everything and some people say it's not enough. <laughs> like, eh, I got some other things uh, Lord, uh, if you can work that out. I don't want what you want to give me, but I have some ideas. <laughs> Look what he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Indeed, that's what this is all about. And just popped into my head what Max Licato said. He said, whether you live to be nine or 90, life is short. <laughs> and the kingdom of God lasts forever. But if you're going to be in the kingdom of God, you have to be changed. And those who will be changed are those who belong to him. Do you belong to him this morning? If you've never placed your faith, true trust in Jesus as I did many, many years ago, even as an honorary teenager. <laughs> you can do that this morning and find your whole life changed for the better. Have this hope and know this God. Perhaps today is today. I hope that it is. Let us pray. Draw us, Lord. All that the Father gives to me. Lord, give us to the Son. <laughs> open our hearts the way you open the heart of Olivia in Acts 16 to hear the gospel and receive it and to be transformed by it. There are so many things that we love 
because we think that they can satisfy us. And we have this God-shaped hole, a, Lord, a hole shaped like you in each of us because we're created in your image and likeness. And we try to put all sorts of things in it, people and jobs and money and trips and cars and houses and whatever things that we like. And they have some pleasure and some joy, but they never seem to quite satisfy. There's always something missing because only you, Lord, can fill a God-shaped hole. And so I would pray for those that are here today who might even be here because a spouse made them come or they're here because, uh, well, you know, that's what people do on Sunday mornings, go to Easter Day. But you've spoken to them have you, as you've spoken to millions, as you spoke to somebody, as we might think, as, as unworthy as the Apostle Paul. <laughs> you may be speaking to them, Lord, even as I know what it's like when you speak to us for the first time that they would listen to that voice and respond to that voice and find that the 17th of April was the day when everything changed because I said yes to Jesus who said for me yes to the cross. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.